0: Welcome to the Feathered Desert, a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the United States. Welcome to the Feathered Desert, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking about nesting etiquette. And the nesting season is upon us again, and we thought we'd talk about the different kinds of nests our desert birds build, and then how we can help them succeed, and talk about how we should behave around nesting sites. And Cheryl's going to start us off talking about our three main types of nests that we
1: see here. Yes, thank you, Kirsten. There are three main types of nests we see here in the desert, and those are one- open cup nests that are in trees or shrubs cavity nests that are built into a cactus or a tree and number three is open cup nests on or near the ground so let's start with number one open cup nests in trees or shrubs this type of nest is made by many of our commonly seen birds here in the Phoenix Valley, such as house finches, my favorites, all of our doves and pigeons, curdbill bill thrashers, another favorite, northern mockingbirds, double-tailed grackles, not my favorite, aberts tohi, and all of our hummingbird species. An open-cup nest looks like what it sounds like, a cup, and is typically made of grasses, twigs, roots, and leaves, and is open on top. These nests are often lined with soft materials such as feathers, mammal hair, and dead grasses. We want to take a moment to talk about these, about an especially cool nest, the hummingbird nest. These nests are built by, female, by the female using grasses and leaves and are held together with spider webs. She lays two eggs in the nest and as chicks grow, the nest expands, keeping the chicks snug and safe. Lately hummingbird nest boxes have exploded all over the internet but we are here to tell you that hummers will not use these boxes and they are open they are open cup nesters and will not nest in a cavity the only thing you're going to get is spiders, I'm afraid.
0: Right, Yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> Which they'll
1: eat, but <laughs> <laughs> right. if you want to buy a spider house, go ahead.
0: Yeah, so certainly save your money. They're kind of cute. I mean, unless you think they're cute. But don't expect a hummingbird to actually nest in it because it's just not going to happen. Yeah. All right, looking at number two, those are our cavity nests. This type of nest is essentially a hole burrowed into a cactus or a dead or dying tree. That's essentially what a cactus, that's essentially, sorry, what a cavity nest is. So our most common cavity nesters are gila woodpeckers, gilded flickers, house sparrows, American kestrels, and our two non-native species that are very prosperous here, the peach-faced lovebird and European starling. The woodpeckers actually do most of the hard work. We've all seen the holes in the saguaro cactus. Those are actually created by gila woodpeckers and gilded flickers. They'll actually peck into the cactus, making a big hole enough for a nest And then they leave it to dry for a few days. They have to do that so that the cactus will heal up and then create a boot. That's where those boots come from. Yep, And that leaves the perfect cavity for a nest. So sometimes the woodpecker doesn't use it or uh, moves on after one nesting season or whatever. But it leaves these cavity nests vacant. And then that's where the rest of our cavity nesters will use them. So American kestrels, the peach-faced lovebirds... All of those guys, they don't actually make their own nests. They just go around trying to find a cavity nest that's abandoned. (laughs) Even
1: like the western screech owl.
0: Yep, western screech owl. We actually have a lot of cavity nesters that are willing to use somebody else's hard work for their benefit.
1: So the Gila woodpecker makes a new nest every year. Yeah. So it's really not hurting the saguaro cactus. They have lived together for hundreds and hundreds of years. And um, it's a benefit to both that the Gila woodpecker Builds its nest in the saguaro cactus. Just want to put that out there because you know some people have this negative. thought process towards Gila woodpeckers in this world cactus. Right
0: and if you notice it's not like they're making nests in your little baby saguaro. No they're using the really old ones who have been living for 50 years or more. That's where they want to build their nest and it is just like Cheryl says it's great for the saguaro as well because it brings birds towards them especially during their blooming season mm-hmm. and their fruiting season. Yes. That's how they are pollinated the Gila woodpecker and the gilded flicker are both pollinators of the saguaro cactus. And then we've got our lovely doves that some people, a little too much, but the white winged doves come back in during fruiting season and they eat the fruits and that's how saguaro cactuses actually replant themselves. So having those birds around them is incredibly important to their life cycle as well. All right, I think Cheryl's got our number three.
1: I have number three and it's open cup nest on or near the ground. So the gamble's quail is our most common ground nester here. They will make an open cup nest on the ground under brushy... Okay, this is a tongue twister, Kirsten, stuck in. (laughs) Brushy bushes made of grasses and twigs and often lined with feathers. Try saying that three times fast. While the female sits on the nest incubating eggs, the male will perch higher on the shrub Acting as a lookout—that's so cute. As many of us know, quail will also commonly lay eggs in potted plants in our yards. Yes, they do. The greater roadrunner is is our other desert resident that makes a cup nest near the ground. They build their nest in the lower branches of shrubs and cactus, and are more that are more flat than the curve of a like a cup.
0: Yeah, those are just really our two most popular ones here. There are other ones that lay on the ground, and um, we're going to talk a little bit about some really interesting nests coming up. So the three that we just talked about right now are really the most common types of nests. It's not the only type of nests that birds will make, but these are the most common types of nests that we have here. So I wanted to point out just a couple of really extraordinary nest builders that we have here as well. And the first one actually is the cactus wren. Now, the cactus wren is super, uh, super cool. He actually makes an enclosed nest. And I say he because it is the male. The male is the one that makes the nest in the cactus wren, And he does make them uh, more of an enclosed nest. So it's like a cup nest with just a ball kind of with a hole in it for them to enter. And it's made of twigs and branches. And what's so interesting about it is they make more than one. And they make more than one every season. He can make up to five different nests during one season. And two of these nests may be used, maybe only one of these nests may be used, but the other ones are used as decoy nests, which is super cool. So he'll go to them every once in a while and then. We do have the suspicion that one may be kind of like a man cave when he needs to kind of get away. (laughs) He uses that one. But if he feels that there's a predator maybe following them, um, trying to find the nest, he'll go to one of his decoy nests, which I think is exceptionally cool. Now, in good seasons, when cactus wren will actually have two uh, clutches, they will not use the same nest twice to raise their babies. So this will be a pair that is together. And they'll choose another one of his nests. So really making that first nest that they raise something successful in, a decoy nest. Which I just thought was just a, exceptionally crazy and very interesting. The fact
1: that they have that forethought.
0: Yeah, that's a lot of planning. <laughs> and so it's a lot, of, lot of work for him as well. So the verdun are also one of my favorite, absolute favorite birds yes, of the desert southwest. And they have little enclosed nests also and they'll actually make two nests a year. So this is very interesting. During the summertime, they'll nest together, the male and the female, to help raise babies. And this nest will be enclosed but made of much lighter material, some dry grasses. And they point the opening of that towards the prevailing winds to help them stay cool. And that's great. It's just Once again, amazing amounts of forethought there. I don't think I could choose to open my door to the prevailing winds when I'm building a house. Yeah, it's amazing. And then in the winter, they will make another nest and they actually will make two nests. The female will make her own nest and the male will make his own nest in the winter and they use thicker materials and then they're gonna line it with mammal hair um, to help stay warm. And they position the opening away from the prevailing winds so they can stay warm during the winter. They're amazing to me. They're amazing little architectures with little compasses in them. It's just, it's crazy. Then one that is we're talking, we went from the cactus wren who makes five nests a year to someone who barely has any forethought or anything. The lesser nighthawk. We get these guys here this time of year. They are migratory. They come here in our spring and summer to catch insects and you'll see them right around dusk. These guys, not not big on the on the nest building they do less than a morning dove and for those of you who ever watched a morning dove it's like two sticks and an egg is coming out that's what (laughs) morning doves do lesser night hogs don't even do that they'll lay eggs there's a few rocks maybe maybe already in a circle maybe already in a semi-circle they're like this looks great and they go to that little area of rocks under a shrub and they lay their eggs so they don't even really move the rocks around. They just go and say, this looks great. I'm going to an egg here. So those are the lesser nighthawks. So we went from the cactus wren, who has five different nests, to the verdin, who does a lot of work, to the lesser nighthawk that's just like plop. And I'm good. <laughs> They're all successful, though. They're all successful, which really just tells you what we don't know. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. <laughs> So one of the things we said at the beginning was, what we can do, how can we help our birds nest successfully?
1: So how can we do that, Cheryl? So what we can do to help our birds nest nest successfully, we can offer organic, unprocessed cotton as a nest lining material, which um, Wild Birds Unlimited and Mesa Store actually offers. We sell two different options um, for nesting birds. Oh, number two, we can leave our shrubs and bushes alone during the spring and summer. If you need to trim bushes and trees, do it in the winter, especially our palm trees that are preferred nesting sites for both cavity nesters and open cup nesters. Liberty Wildlife would love it if we didn't trim our palm trees.
0: Oh, gosh, yes. they would have so fewer
1: birds. Yes. Number three, leave nests alone. If you have a nest near your house, do your absolute best to give them space so they are not scared off by the off the nest and have time to incubate the eggs and raise chicks until they fledge please do not disturb nests to take pictures the flash can scare the parents off the nest oh I got I got six so I'm on number four if you are having a morning dub mom <laughs> that keeps trying to lay an egg with two sticks and a branch you can, which they do. Yep. You can place a basket made of natural materials in the spot they keep using and anchor it with bread ties. This works, but if you don't want her to continue to nest there, um, over and over again, take your basket down. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Before the tree gets too tall, I have a basket in a tree that is now too tall for me to reach, <laughs> and so I have, a, I have a permanent nest up there till um, it gives way. If the nest isn't is in an inappropriate place and no eggs have been laid, you can tear it down and the birds will typically find another place. But if eggs are already laid, wait until the chick has fledged, then tear down the nest.
0: That would be nice.
1: Yes, so the last one is man-made nest boxes can also be mounted for our cavity nesters, but make sure the dimensions of the box are specific to the species you want to attract. And the whole opening is the correct size so that the birds can use them safely. And each size is specific to the bird.
0: The specific species of bird, species yes. Species
1: of bird, yes. And also make sure that the nesting box has a way for the fledglings to get out. So it's not smooth on the inside. It's rough and like ladder. Right. Um, and that Markings all, in there.
0: Right. And the dimensions for the box is if you are a person who is good with tools, you can certainly make your own. And I will put a link in our show notes to the Cornell Lab website, and they have a great site that is based on nest boxes and what sizes they are and which birds they go to. Yes. And they talk about that as well. Because, yeah, you do have to have some sort of kind of like rough edges or maybe yeah. even uh, um, a ladder not grooves yeah grooves is a, grooves that's yeah, yeah, I was yeah. Looking for. grooves that make kind of like a ladder so that the little birdies can climb up um, from the inside All right well that pretty much covers our nest etiquette but I have a plant spotlight today that wraps right into or ties right into this subject um, and that is the scrub oak. So the scrub oak is actually a smaller oak. Most of you are thinking, oak tree, my God, it's going to get huge. This one only gets about eight feet. And in the oak realm, that's pretty darn small, actually. (laughs) Um, That can get up to 12 feet wide. So it is definitely much more broad than it is tall. It has leathery gray green leaves that cover rigid branches native to Arizona is what it is. It does best at higher altitudes, but it can grow in the valley. In the valley here, it will need supplemental water in the heat of the summer, and afternoon shade is beneficial, but if you're at higher altitudes, it can take full sun. Like most, it likes most soils, so you don't really have to be terribly picky about that, and it should be pruned only to remove dead leaves. It doesn't do as well with massive grooming, but it's gonna grow up that eight feet tall and it's not going to have a bunch of little little branches on the bottom, so that shouldn't be too much of a big deal once it starts growing. Um, It can make an excellent hedge, but it is slow growing, so you got to keep that in mind. Uh, The dense foliage actually provides shelter for birds and small reptiles and mammals, which is perfect. It's just what we want it to do. Many desert animals will eat the acorns, and it is a host plant to several different desert butterflies. So this is really an all around fantastically wonderful uh, tree to plant. And anybody who's gone out to uh, Boyce Thompson Arboretum out in Superior, if you take the high trail, um, when you go hiking out there, you'll see a lot of different scrub oaks. And then you can kind of make a decision, oh, is this something I want in my yard? Because it certainly when I first saw it, my husband looked at the leaf and he's like, that looks like an oak tree. And I was like, oh, it's an oak tree. look how tiny it is. But yeah, we looked at it and they actually had a sign on it and it's a scrub oak. So very, very interesting. Now, a little bit of a tip here. It's not a good choice. Um, If you have horse property, um, because acorns can be poisonous to horses. So if you yourself have horse property or you butt up to neighbors that have horses, they would certainly appreciate you not planting something with acorns. Um, But if it's far enough away and you're not afraid of them getting in to where a horse can get it, then it's a really great um, tree to look into. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us at the Feather Desert for our nesting etiquette. And we will be with you next time.